minutes. For the past couple of weeks, actually about a little over a month now, we've been answering this question. I'm trying to answer this, and we know it's an impossible question to answer because it says, what's normal anyway? And the reality is we know there isn't any one thing that's normal. Somebody doesn't look normal. There's no right way to look or wrong way to look. Um, but we're trying to answer kind of in this idea of our culture that's going in this tremendous amount of transition. We recognize that, that everything looks different. It seems like every week or every month or every year, what seemed like normal last year doesn't seem normal anymore. You know, you can't even talk to your kids anymore because they use abbreviations for stuff. You know, and, you know, instead of, you know, TTYL, talk to you later, and, and whatever, what was it, totes my goats, you know, or cray cray, all this stuff. You're like, what did we, you know, they're all speaking in tongues, you know, and you can't, can't figure out what's going on. But, but things are changing, and, and some of those changes are good, and some of them are bad. They're not all bad, but we've been trying to answer this question as Christians, what's normal anyway? And, and since we can't determine what is normal by looking at the shifting culture around us, we've been looking for guidance to figure out what's normal from the one place we know we can look where nothing changes, and that's God's Word. In particular, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Acts, which we've talked about for the last month and a half now. That is the history book of the early church. And we've been looking in that book to see what things were normal for them as they lived for Christ, as they walked with Jesus in their life? What were their values? What were their experiences? Because we can look at the early church and say what, was, what they looked at as normal part of their Christian experience ought to be normal for us. And in the process of doing this over the last number of weeks, we found some, I hope, some really helpful insights into what normal really looks like for us Christians. We've looked at things like this. Last week we talked about normal is, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. That we look in the book of Acts, is obvious. You should be full of, of God's Spirit in your life. That, that we look at normals experiencing transformed lives. That, that God loves to take us with all of our hang-ups and our problems and make us better. He loves to change us. And, you know, he loves to, to say, Mark, you know what, on your own, you are absolutely nothing. Because we are. But he goes, but guess what? When you're, when you're my child, I can make something beautiful out of you. No matter what your, what your problems are, what your history is. Wonderful thing about Christianity is no matter what you came from, God's got a, a history for you, a future for you that's beautiful and wonderful. So we, we've seen it, that what's normal is experiencing transformed lives. We've seen it. what's normal is, is serving passionately with the love of Jesus. That if you are a person who's living um, the Christian life anyway like the people of the early church, we understand what they did is they served. But they didn't just serve, they served with passion. Because they, because Jesus changed their lives and, and they wanted to imitate him. We found it's been normal telling other people about Jesus ought to be normal. That ought not to be the exception, it ought to be the rule. That we look at their lives and we see that they did it all the time. We found being normal is experiencing God's supernatural activity and it's living in, in great community and it's, it's being, having lives filled with worship and lives filled with prayer and fasting. All those things we've looked at and saying it's, it's normal. And... The reason I kind of went through a number of them today is I wanted us to, to kind of make, take a step back and think about what are some of the things we've talked about. And I hope what's starting to happen is you're starting to see that what should be normal for Jesus' disciples, for you and me, that's what you are if you're a follower of Christ. It sounds like an old-time word, but that's what you are, a disciple's a learner. And you're, you're following after Christ. You're learning from him. He's, he's, he's changing you. That what should be normal for you and me as followers of Jesus, you know, it doesn't look 
a lot like the people who don't walk with Jesus. In other words, we look a lot different. That if you're going to live a normal Christian life, you're going to live a life that looks a lot different than the people who live in the subdivision around you. Now, you, don't, you might dress the same, and you might drive the same kind of car, but what the core things of your life, God intends to be normal. God intends for the lives of his followers to be different. He intends for our lives to be better than what our lives could have been without him. He intends for our lives to be more fulfilling than what they could have been without him. He intends that when we have a life centered on him, that we'll, we'll live uh, you know, above the standards and above the values of the world around us. Because scripture says the world's passing away. That everything, you know, everything you have, everything you can put your hands on, is gonna, it's going to burn someday. It's going to be valueless. Those things you work so hard to, to get the money to buy that you just have to have, they just fall apart and fail. And someday God says even the earth and everything we see will, will be done away with. And so he wants to give us a life that's, that's more valuable than anything we see around us. And so that's what we're seeing is, is normal. And what we're going to look at today is another topic about what, what's normal and, and that I think I can say this all honestly, that if we will latch on to this one, that it will really make a difference in our lives, make us, our lives better, or make our lives fulfilling. And you're going to be a lot different than the people who live on the other side of you, other side of the houses in your subdivision. You're really going to, you're going to act different. Because what I talk about today is what's normal anyways, what's normal anyways for the, for the child of God is giving and receiving second chances to people. We find it in the book of Acts. What's normal is giving other people second chances and receiving second chances from other people. You understand what I mean by second chance? Meaning somebody, somebody really blew it. And your neighbor just says, fine, never talk to you again. You're dead to me. And God's people are supposed to look at be a little different and say what's normal is... We give second chances because we've been given second chances. And we'll talk about that a little more as we go on. But I want to start today by telling you a story about a man that we find in the book of Acts. And we also find him talked about throughout the rest of the New Testament. And we'll tell you his story today. And then we're going to read something about him and use him as a springboard to talk about this topic. And the guy I want to talk about today is the guy that Scripture refers to, Acts refers to as John Mark. And the rest of the Bible is referred to just as Mark. And you've got to like that name, right? You've got to like that name. Um, Mark. If you're visiting, that's my name. So, so Mark. Scripture tells us that Mark, let me give you some background about Mark. That Mark um, was the cousin of a guy named Barnabas. Now, if you've read your Bible at all, you've come across Barnabas a few times. That Barnabas was this highly respected leader in the early church. Matter of fact, so respected that the very first missionary endeavor that ever, a team that was ever sent out, was two guys that headed it up, Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. And so he's this high-ranking leader in the early church. Um, so this is, this is a relative, a cousin of, of Mark's. We also know something else about Mark's family, that Mark had a godly mother. Uh, we don't really know much about her other than the fact that she's mentioned in Scripture and that it was in her home that um, people prayed all night one night when Peter was in jail. Remember the story? Peter was in jail. Uh, they were going to execute him. 
and there is a group of people having a prayer meeting in a house, and then an angel comes, sets Peter free, and then Peter leaves the jail and goes to a house where they're praying. Well, that was, that was in, in Mark's mom's house, and Mark was probably also there at the time. That was, that was the house he grew up in. And so we find out that he's, you know, he's a connected guy. Um, we find out that when the early church um, was going to put together that first missionary endeavor, where they're going to send out um, Saul and, or Paul and uh, Barnabas, that Paul and Barnabas recognized a young man as being very positive, somebody to invest into, a guy named Mark, and they said, you come along with us on the first missionary journey. So this guy had quite an amazing young life. You know, he saw firsthand the miracles of God through these leaders of the church, through his cousin Barnabas, through living in his mom's house where the early church is meeting. Um, his family um, were key leaders, so he had rubbed shoulders with the people that were the, the... Imagine that. These are the first Christians, the first people to understand the gospel and to spread it around the world, that took, who actually took it seriously and said, we're going to lay down our lives. That's the environment that he lived in. And he traveled, we said, with the greatest, probably the greatest missionary team in the history of the world. You know, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Going out, the first church planting endeavor ever to happen in the church. These guys were the ones God hand selected. And he got to walk with them and see it. So this guy, John Mark, had every reason to succeed in the world in his walk with God. He had everything going. He had the right pedigree. He had the right experience. He had the right training. Everything. He had every reason to be able to trust God and to follow his leading into whatever God asked him to do. But Scripture tells us something. One thing I love about Scripture is it doesn't sugarcoat things. It just tells the truth. And Scripture tells us something happened. That partway through that first missionary journey, that Mark deserted, that's the word used, deserted Paul and Barnabas and went home. Now maybe the reason he deserted them is because it was a whole lot different than he thought. Maybe he heard the stories of what it was like and he's a younger guy and he goes, that sounds wonderful. And he got out there and found out it wasn't so wonderful. Found out, you know, what's a lot of hard work. I find that a lot when, when people want to work in the church. If I could just work at the church, it'd just be wonderful. You guys sing Kumbaya all day and you're always having prayer meetings and they get in the church office and they go, you guys work and man, you've got to deal with everybody's problems, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think maybe he had something like that going on. Um, maybe he couldn't stand the constant assaults by the Jews. Remember, if you read the story as they went and they planted the churches, the Jews constantly were attacking them trying to have them arrested and killed because they thought that, that they were this cult and they wanted them, they wanted them fought or they wanted them, they wanted them um, you know, eliminated. Maybe he just missed his mom and dad and his family and friends. You know, he's out there traveling. It sounded great to live the life of adventure. But he gets going and he's going, I really miss being at home with my family. You know, no matter what the reasons were, what Scripture tells us is that he bailed on the team that was counting on him. And that's why I could say he deserted them. It doesn't say he decided to do something else. He used that word on purpose, deserted him. So there was, there was an issue involved with it. You know what he did? He bailed on his team that was counting on him, and he went back home where it was easy and more familiar or whatever. And that's where we find him in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, don't you open up there with me. Paul and Barnabas are about to go on their second missionary journey. Their second missionary journey was going to be where they were going to go and visit all the churches that they had planted on their first missionary journey. But before they're ready to go, a conflict arises. 
So Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36, we're going to find out about it. Look at verse 36. You there? Okay. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, and this is about two years later, is what we, we know from history, after the first trip. Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed to the brethren, to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Sicilia, um, strengthening the churches. You know, it's time for Paul and Barnabas to begin their second trip. But they have this problem. Paul says this. He goes, you know what? There is no way on God's green earth that I am taking that guy with me again. I gave that punk kid a chance. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that's the Mark translation. He said, he said you know, I, <laughs> it's been said about me. So, you know, um, so he said, I gave that guy a chance, and I am not taking him this time. He left us high and dry the first time, and we depended on him, and there's no way I'm going to take him, and he's going to cause us problems along the way again. This ministry is just too important. We're not going to drag this kid along again. He can't come. Then Barnabas says, you know what? I think we need to give him a second chance. I think we should give him a second chance. You know, I, I admit, he blew it, he messed up, he caused us problems, he, he deserted us. I understand that. But, you know, we all mess up from time to time. And, and I, I think this time is going to be different. And, and, you know, really, Paul, let's take him along with us. And it says in the scripture we just read that the conflict between them became so great that Paul and Barnabas decided to part ways. That Paul chose Silas and went one way, and Barnabas took Mark and went another way. Now, there's something I want you to see about this story from the story today. That that very difficult and costly decision that Barnabas made, difficult because he had to leave his friend costly, he, he, you know, people maybe disrespected his decision, he had to pick a different partner, that very difficult and costly decision that Barnabas made to give Mark a second chance paid huge dividends. That he said, Barnabas said, I want to take Mark with me. And it was, a, it was a difficult decision. It was a costly decision. You see, what we see from the rest of Scripture is that, that Mark took advantage of his second chance. That he developed into a great leader that even Paul later recognized and respected. In 2 Timothy, years later, it's written about this, years later when Paul was in a Roman prison, he wrote these words in 2 Timothy. He said, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for service. You know, Paul had quite the change of heart. This guy that he forbid to come with them, he was so adamant about not having come that he parted ways from his great ministry partner and went a different direction. He had a change of heart. Now he's saying, will you bring him along? He's helpful to me. He's useful to me for service. And also, let's not forget that because he was given a second chance, you guys are all holding in your hand something that he wrote. The Gospel of Mark. But the Holy Spirit worked through him and inspired him to pen one of the four Gospels, one of the four stories of the life of Jesus. God said, I want to give you a second chance. Because, and Barnabas said, I want to give you a second chance. Look at the result. Look at the dividends. 
it's clearly evident that giving Mark a second chance was the right thing to do. Right? Make sense? Pretty easy to see. You all agree? It's going to get personal. You really see? That's right. It's pretty easy for us to look at that. Pretty easy for us to say, man, good decision. Give Mark a second chance. That ought to be one of the models of our church. (laughs) Give Mark a second chance. (laughs) Or a third chance, or a fourth chance, or a fifth chance, okay? It's really easy for us to read, to see the big story. You know, we're taking a whole lifetime and compressing it into five minutes of talking about it. It's evident. Giving him a second chance was the right thing to do because it paid huge dividends. It's easy for us to say that. But, here's my question for you today. Who is the mark in your life? Who's the mark in your life? Who in your life has blown it? Has let you high and dry, deserted you? Has taken advantage of you? Has let you down? Has hurt you? The question is, are you ready to give them a second chance? Are you ready to act normal toward them? Now, that's not such an easy question to answer, is it? It's easy to say, oh, Barnabas, Barnabas got it right. Well, we turn the tables and we look in the mirror and say, what about me? And say it's normal, according to God's way of looking at it, to give somebody a second chance. It's not so easy to say that when somebody hurts you, is it? Somebody abandoned you. Well, I think there are some really helpful insights from this story into how we can do this better. How we can be, act more normal and line up more closely with what should be the Christian normal instead of the non-Christian normal where second chances are few and far between. So how do we give a second chance to the mark in your life? First thing is this. And I'm going to say this, I'm starting off with this, and I was hesitant to start off with the point I want to make here, but I think it has to be set up front. And what I want to say is very subjective up front. It's, not, it, it's, it's subjective, and, and you could take this point and twist it and say, well, he's saying I don't have to ever give anybody a second chance when he's trying to talk about giving second chances. But the first point is an is a understanding you have to have in order to address uh, approaches properly and have it actually be productive. So the first thing you have to do to determine uh, how do I give somebody a second chance is I'd say this. They need to be like Mark was. I'll explain that. They, who need a second chance, need to be like Mark was. Because there's a condition here. Let me explain. Barnabas gave Mark a second chance for a reason. Because Mark wanted a second chance. It's evident from the story that Mark sought a second chance. That he was willing, and the reason we know it, he was willing to go right back into the difficult circumstances that had caused him problems the first time. He said, he wasn't just saying, you know, I blew it, so just give me something. No, rather what he was saying is, I want a second chance. He was not, he, he was not wanting to, to um, take from Barnabas. He was wanting to add. He was wanting to give. He was wanting to, to, to develop. Does that make sense? That Mark wanted to do better. That Mark was willing to try. And the first thing you got to understand is, to give somebody a second chance, they've got to be like Mark was. They've got to want to try. You see, there is a difference between someone wanting a second chance so they can succeed and someone just wanting to take advantage of you or hurt you again. You need to help the one but not help the other. There's a difference. You see, repeatedly in Paul's letters to, the, to churches 
and to Christian leaders that he was mentoring. He warned them to be on guard against people who would want to harm them. Sometimes as Christians we think we're not supposed to, we can't think that way. That, you know what, I just keep throwing it out there and let people just keep taking advantage of me. That's, I, I, the reason I'm throwing this out first is to say, no, there, is a, there, are, some, there are some groundwork, some, some qualifications for giving second chances. So we see Paul, he often told people to be on guard against people. In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy these words. Timothy's his son in the faith, and he says, he's, he's warning him, he says, Paul writes, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself. You see, extending second chances doesn't mean you are to open yourself up to continued abuse. What it means is that you put your arm around those who want to change and want to grow and want to partner and you help them. That that's the foundational understanding you have to have first. It's like the father in the story of the prodigal son. Before the father could give his son a second chance, and it's maybe the greatest story in all the Bible about second chances, but before the father could give the son a second chance, the son had to come to his senses and seek a second chance. Remember he's in a pig pen? And, it says, and he came to himself. And he realized it was better than my father's house. And he returned home. He had to go home first before the father could give him a second chance. Because the father understood the father, remember the father sat in the porch with open arms saying, I just hope he comes home, I hope he comes home, I hope he comes home. But he understand the son had to come to himself first and realize, I need to come home. And that's what we're talking about here. In order to give him a second chance, they've got to be like Mark was. So for you to offer a second chance to someone, there has to be some belief that they want to change, that they want to get better, that they want to reconcile. That's the first thing. That's the underlying under, under, foundational understanding first. Then there's a second thing is this. Once you have that idea, and I'm not saying that means they're begging for help. You just have an inkling. You believe they really want to get better. They tell you they want to get better. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Once you, once you believe that to be true, then you aim to have a heart like Barnabas. So they have to be like Mark was, and then you aim to have a heart like Barnabas. Barnabas you know what Barnabas' name means? His name means son of encouragement. Now, I believe, I've never heard anybody, I've never read this, but I think it's probably obvious. I think the church named him Barnabas. I don't think his mom and dad probably, he was born named Barnabas because he's so defined by that name in Scripture that I think the church world looked at him kind of like Saul went from Saul to Paul. I think they named him Barnabas. It doesn't matter if that's true or not, but, but the fact is, he was this great son of encouragement that Barnabas erred on the side of grace with people. He, all, he did it repeatedly. When Paul said it's too risky to take Mark along, Barnabas erred on the side of grace and gave him a second chance. You know, and it wasn't apparently a very sensible choice. To the onlookers, they thought, well, you're making, you're making a mistake, but he erred on the side of grace. And it wasn't unusual for Barnabas to do that. So years earlier, when, when Paul came to Christ, came to know Jesus, and, and none of the church would even receive him. They wouldn't trust him because he'd been killing Christians. One guy stood up and put his armor on him and said, I'll, I'll stand with you. It was Barnabas. Barnabas gave Paul a second chance. That's why I think it's so funny in this story because Mark refused to give, uh, Paul refused to give Mark a second chance, but Barnabas gave Paul a second chance. 
Paul wouldn't have been who he was if Barnabas wouldn't have come alongside him and said, I think this guy's legit. You know, and he, and he really risked everything coming alongside Paul. Paul may have been deceptive and could have had Barnabas arrested and, and imprisoned and, and killed. But he erred on the side of grace with Paul years earlier and gave him a second chance. And he risked his reputation lining himself up with a guy who was known a lone murderer against Christians. But he came alongside Paul and he mentored him and Paul became who he was greatly in part because of Barnabas erring on the side of grace. And see, when, Paul, when this situation, when Barnabas saw a glimpse of promise in a person, he responded so that, that um, then he extended grace to them. Even saw it and responded when no one else saw it. Even when people opposed him, if he believed in him, he stood with them and gave them a second chance. Friends, as, as abnormal as that is, that is what should be our normal. Graciously giving others a second chance. And there's a reason for it. Because that's what God has done for us. You see, Paul should have got it. Barnabas did it for him, so he should have done it to Mark. But friends, we're in the same boat. God has done it for us. God has gave, given all of us repeated second and third and fourth chances when he gave us his son Jesus when he gave Christ to this world to redeem us from our sins, giving us eternal life that none of us deserves, he was saying, Mark, I'm giving you a second chance. God set the example of what is to be normal when he offers a second chance to people and say, you know what, you don't have to be lost and bound in sin. That I've got something better for you. Come to Jesus. You know, who among us? hasn't received a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance from God when we fail. All of us has. And that's the precedent. Because he's done it for us, we should do it for others. See, Barnabas understood that just like God graciously and repeatedly gave him a second chance, he should also do the same for others. And just think about the rewards he gained from from doing that. See, sometimes we think when we give a second chance that... The only person who benefits is the other guy. But that's not true. Think about this from Barnabas' thing. Think about you, what he gained and how you can gain. Think his investment of giving a second chance into just these two men, and he may have done it to, to thousands, but we just know these two. By investing a second chance into Paul and Mark, he literally changed the world. These are two of the foundational characters that shaped the entire church that 2,000 plus years later we are studying and we are emulating and we are following. And a lot of it's tied to the fact that this guy gave him a second. Just not only did that benefit us, but just think about how he felt knowing, you know what, Paul, you were wrong. This guy was worth it. Not an arrogant sense, but thinking, God, thank you. That because I acted like you, lives are changed. Literally millions and millions and millions of lives for generations. All because he chose to err on the side of grace and offer a second chance. Friends, this has always been a challenge for Christians. It's a challenge for humanity. But it's always been a challenge for Christians. And John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, he understood that, that giving second chances wasn't easy. He understood that um, it was difficult. And so he offered five ways that we can show love to those with whom we differ or disagree. Five ways 
uh, was in a sermon that he, that he preached one time, but five ways that we can show love, which in other words, five ways we can give someone a second chance. Now let me just go through them quickly with you. He says, number one, if you want to give somebody a second chance, you want to show love to those whom we differ or disagree with. Number one, treat them as companions. Now, his words are chosen carefully here. He said, treat them as companions. What would be the opposite of being your companion? Be your enemy, your adversary. A lot of times when somebody does something that hurts us, they become the enemy. We're the ones who create that. Think of this, because it's never made any sense to me, but I've never walked through this myself. But looking at it as an observer, I can't figure it out. People marry the love of their life. I'm going to give up everything to follow this person, to, to, to partner with this person, rather. We're going to live together. We're going to you know, skip through tulip fields. You know, and they get married, and within however amount of time, their marriage falls apart, they choose to divorce. A lot of times, right before that point, I'm brought into the picture. They've already made a decision. And there's not a thing I can do to change it. But here's always the thing that makes no sense to me. They went from lovers to enemies. And that's a choice. They choose to view the other person as an enemy. And I usually think that's one of the biggest problems. They stopped being companions and they started being enemies. And that's a choice to view the person. And so, so Wesley understood this and he said, if you want to give somebody a second chance and you want, to, you want to show love to somebody who's hard to love and you disagree with generally, first thing is, it's a position on how you think about them. You treat them as a companion. There's someone who's a companion. There's somebody you link arms with and you walk through life together. We're companions. We're in this thing together. That's number one. Number two, he said this, do not think or speak evil of them. That's hard. Now, the speak evil we can get, can kind of get, because we can say, you know, well, just guard your tongue. And that's not easy um, to not speak evil. But he takes a level lower, and he says, not only don't speak evil, he says, don't think evil. I'm thinking, how do you do that? Well, I think what he's getting at is you have to break this crazy cycle. That when somebody does you wrong, um, oftentimes... This whole war is played out up here, right? You, I would tell if I had another chance, I'd say this to them. How many times have you said to your spouse, your friends, I ought to have said blah, 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 right? What's going on is you're thinking through the whole thing, the whole scenario in your brain. Wesley says that's dangerous. He's saying, listen, don't allow yourself to think evil or speak evil of the person. He said, if you want to reconcile, if you want unity, don't speak or even allow yourself to think evil. So what do you do? The thought pops into your head. You've got a choice to make. You choose what you think on. That's why in Colossians it says, think on these things. These things that are, that are basically heavenly. Think on these people. Think, oh, that means walk around thinking about, you know, angels on clouds. Oh, no, he's talking about thinking about things that are pure and right and good instead of thinking about negative stuff towards other people. So you treat them as companions. You don't think or speak evil. Number three says this. Simple. Pray for them. Um, I found something to be true in my life. And I've applied it most regularly to this situation where I knew I needed to reconcile with somebody and I absolutely didn't want to do it. Matter of fact, I just soon never see the person again in my life. Pray for them. You know why? You can't hate somebody you pray for. It's impossible. It doesn't work. That's why a lot of times we don't pray. That, I'm serious. That's why a lot of times people don't come and respond at the end of a church service. Because God is dealing with them and they know, if I give God a chance, He's going to change my heart. I don't want my heart changed because i got a right to be angry. 
You never heard that one. That, never, that little thing never went on in your head before, did it? It does in all of our heads. Pray for them. Matter of fact, I'd say this. The person you dislike the most, you should pray for the most. Because God will change your heart. And you will be the benefactor of it. God will bless you. He might not, they, they may not respond to anything. But you will be freed from the chains of, of this ridiculous warfare and division that's with you and another person. Number four. This is going to go from what goes on inside of you to actually now beginning to do something outside. Wesley says this, number four, encourage them to do good. In other words, take some action. Not only just, it's what we do, you know, we say, oh, fine, I'm done. I'm fine. Well, I've seen this. I'm fine. I don't care. I love that person. Yeah, it's fine. But if I never saw them again, I, you know, well, you want to come to their house? Nope. <laughs> what you're saying, you haven't really dealt with it. You're just isolating yourself and thinking that's fine. God's saying it's not fine. You can't just say, oh, i got a problem with that, that, that sibling of mine, and I'm never going to see them again. You can't say that. You encourage them to do good. In other words, that takes you've got to come alongside them. You've got to interact with them again. You encourage them. You take action. You can't ignore them. And number five, he says this. And this is even a step further in, in, in partnering with them. He says, collaborate with them in ministry collaborate with them in ministry. In other words, uh, join together with them in what unites them, and that's what unites you, and that's Jesus. You know, he's talking, we're talking about with, with other believers. Join, join hands and do something with them. Because guess what? You can't do something with them if you want to punch them at the same time. It'll be obvious to everybody. You know, friends, understand, we are to be people who desire Reconciliation. We are to be people who should be opposed to, to, to disunity. Unity and love should be the main thing that marks normalcy in the kingdom of God. And that won't happen without people who are given to giving second chances to other people. It's the only way it will happen. So, have a heart like Barnabas to a person who's like Mark. And then number three, we can learn something from Paul final thing. One final point is this. And this is the way to make yourself not feel guilty. And I think it's why it's included in the story. Sometimes it takes some time to give a second chance. Sometimes it takes some time to give a second chance. Think about Paul in this story. He didn't give Mark a second chance when Barnabas did. We should all be like Barnabas and jump on the bandwagon right away and go, that guy deserves a second chance. I got a second chance for Jesus. I should give him a second chance. That would be the right thing to do. But I see Paul as this incredibly logical, sensible, driven guy. And he's like, I'm not bringing him along because he's going to mess it up and our work is too important. He was surprised, so task-orientated, he couldn't focus on the human side at the time. And, and you know what? I'm not criticizing the Apostle Paul. Okay, I don't like lightning strikes. You know, I don't think it's really going to happen, but I'm just saying, he's got the goods. You don't need to criticize Paul. But he didn't get on board with Barnabas right away. But history proves, biblical history proves, that Barnabas was right. It was right to give Mark a second chance. And that Paul, it proves that Paul had judged him too harshly. But yet history also proves that in time... Paul saw Mark's value 
and reconciled with him. And beyond that, he partnered with him in ministry. He saw him as a valuable partner and he invested into him and Mark invested back into him. They became united. The point is this. Maybe there has been some time between when your Mark hurt or offended you and now. Might be a gap of time. It's not too late to give a second chance. It's never too late to reconcile. But it's up to you. You take the first step. You make the first move. See, understand this, church. Everybody wins when we live in love and unity. Everybody wins when we offer second chances. Everybody wins when the church acts normal. The Bible says, how will they, all people who don't know Jesus, know that we are His by our love one for another? It's all about second chances. Stand with me this morning. I want you to think about today, in closing... Matter of fact, you are already thinking about it, who your, who your mark is. Who's the person? I don't like writing these kinds of sermons. Matter of fact, I say this, I dislike writing these kinds of sermons. Because the whole time, my mark is in the forefront of my mind, and I'm going, okay, what do I got to do? <sighs> you know the old saying, when you point one finger, three more pointing back at you. You're going, okay, I got to take the next step with a mark in my life. But you guys all have a name probably a face that goes with, it, with this sermon. As I've been talking, the Spirit of the Lord just pointed them out to you. And you know who the person is. Because we've all been hurt. You know, if you've never been hurt or misused or mistreated, man, you're the only one on the planet. Because we all have. We all have. But everybody wins when we live in unity. So today at the end of the service, you know what? You can't, you're not going to fix it all in two seconds. But what you can do is you can commit to the Lord. That Lord, you know what? I want, to, I want to be normal in your eyes. I want to do it right. Just help me, God, to figure out what do I do next. In the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says if you ask for wisdom, He will give it to you. So ask Him, what do you want me to do? And He'll give you the wisdom you need to take the next step. I don't need to give you that wisdom. He'll give you that wisdom. And so just be honest and open your heart up. Don't live in a prison of building up walls against you. You can say, I'm fine. I get to, I do the recreation I like. I have fun doing it with this little select group of people. I'm saying this. You've got walls built up where people have hurt you or you've hurt others. It's time to tear them down. Let the Holy Spirit help you. And second thing is this. So you speak to the Lord about that and allow the Lord to give you some guidance. Second thing is this. Maybe you need a second chance. Maybe you need a second chance with another person. And I'd say this. You go out of your way. Mark, John Mark revealed this heart. He's like, I want to go again. So you take a step. Maybe you need to a second chance. Maybe you need to go to somebody in this in this very room. But some of you might need a different kind of second chance. You may need a second chance with Jesus. That you've never given your heart to Christ. You know what he does? He's the father in the story sitting on the porch waiting and waiting and waiting. Matter of fact, he's calling your name. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me. He's saying, I want to give you a second chance. I want to, I want to wash your sins away and I want to make you brand new for the rest of eternity. I want you to walk. Let's pray together. If that's you today, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this example of second chances. 
Lord, there's not one of us in here who could say we haven't needed chances again and again and again because we've blown it. Thank you that you so graciously extend your love to us. And God, I say this, on behalf of this church family, we're just co-journeyers. God, today as a family we say we really want to model what's, what's normal in your eyes. And so right now, God, we open up our hearts. And we say, God, if there's issues between us and another person, we've been hurt or we've hurt another. And Father, that you would help us to begin to walk that path of reconciliation. Because we know everybody wins when unity thrives. And that's what we want. So, Lord, direct us, guide us, give us wisdom on how to proceed with you.